Uh, welcome to your community. Phil, you want to say anything? <laughs> oh, we welcome. Yeah. <laughs> this is, we are really... Welcome to the first and maybe only <laughs> podcast in the community history. Oh. Uh, this is weird. Never done it before. But um, I feel like it's going to go away. Great. With as much, uh, yeah, so far. yeah, with as tech savvy as we are as a community, mm-hmm. this should be flawless. Most of this stuff we can cut out and post, right? <laughs> Is that okay? I think so. Okay, I think so. Cool. Uh, here's the plan for today. Uh, we are going to uh, go through as if it was service as usual, even though we are not gathering. We'll have a liturgy called a worship or scripture reading. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about our response or posture to COVID-19, uh, give a little bit of practical input uh, on that as well, have a reading from Walter Brueggemann from a way other than our own, the Lenten book that we have been going through together as a community, make a few announcements at the end, and have a little bit of a benediction to conclude. In this season of Lent, we are asked to wait, to be patient, to sit in the uncertainty of life. We are called to be people of faith in the midst of the world, to trust you, the faithful one. We enter this time today as people who live in the world and yet have been called to see our world from a different viewpoint. God calls us together to recognize we are part of a community, a community with Christ at the center. In this time together, may God grow our hearts, helping us to live in the world in faithful ways that lean on hope. May God expand our eyesight, allowing us to see more clearly the promise that you are not far off. Let us settle into this time of waiting to listen and to follow where you will lead us. We ask and worship in the name of our Creator, of our Savior, and our Holy Spirit, the breath of life. Amen. Scripture reading is from Psalm 46, 1 through 3, and verses 6 and 7. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains will be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Our reading today is from Walter Brueggemann's Lenten devotional, A Way Other Than Our Own. The scripture that he refers to is 1 Samuel 3.10, and it says, Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. There is an odd turn in the tale of the boy Samuel. The action takes place at night. He is laying down. The lamps in the temple are burning. Now, admittedly, we do not come to church much at night. And if we do, it's usually for something other than meeting this holy God. But imagine, like the boy Samuel, our real meetings are at night if we take night to be the metaphor for downtime. Night is a time when we cannot see. Night is when we cannot control. Night is when children are frightened because the shadows seem lively. 
Night is when things are unclear and beyond explanation. Night is when we are terrorized, and so we have bright lights all around the house to fend off the darkness. Night is when even adults are out of control, and we are visited by our haunted past and our feared future, and we dream and we have nightmares. The nighttime is bewildering. The boy did not understand, and the old priest was slow to figure it out. It was bewildering to him because something not routine was happening. The anthropologists call this liminality, an unsettling feeling at the threshold of something new, when life is gathered into a wholly new configuration. Now, I say this too often. The church in our society is thought to be a place of unambiguous answers and sure certitudes, where we come settled and cocksure, and the spirit has no chance to change anything. Liberals get it all settled, and conservatives get it all settled. It is, however, more often than not, nighttime in the church. Bewilderment, confusion, liminality, unsettlement. Then emerges something new from God that comes like a thief in the night. The narrative suggests that the holy place must not be understood with too much daytime certitude, but with something more like nighttime bewilderment. For it is in such odd moments that we sort out the voices of address, and God works the newness of nurture and vocation, demand and promise and healing. So think of this place, as did the boy Samuel, as a place of nighttime, when new voices utter our names. Let us pray. Divine thief in the night, you come to us in the darkness to unsettle our expectations and certainties. Open our hearts to bewilderment, that we may be open to your wisdom. Amen. Well, in addition to having conversation about what postures we should have as kingdom people in times of anxiety, felt like it would be helpful to have some practical insight uh, about the science behind uh, coronavirus or COVID-19. We also felt like it would be helpful for someone within our community to give practical, uh, clear illustrations of what you should do uh, how worried should you be? Uh, any sor sorts of concerns like that. So cool opportunity. We have Aaron Putsky with us. Uh, Aaron, tell us a little bit about what you do at Whitworth University and uh, why maybe you're the best person to chat with um, in our community about this particular uh, disease. Uh, so I'm a professor of biology at Whitworth and I study my expertise is in the area of molecular biology <clears throat> and genomics. And just being a self-proclaimed data geek, I just follow this kind of stuff really, really closely. And I dive a lot into the numbers and what are they really saying and what are the public health officials saying and that sort of stuff. So it's, it's important to me to understand the underlying information outside of what we're just getting. Perfect. So let's start with uh, kind of a basic question that I think a lot of people are asking. What is COVID-19 or what is coronavirus? How contagious is it? How deadly is it? Should I be worried? Why should I not panic? What are your thoughts on that? There's a lot of questions. Uh, all at once. Just yeah. throwing them all at once. 20 questions. Yeah. As a disclaimer, are you a public health official? No, thank you for asking. I'm not associated with any public health agencies or anything. So I understand this kind of stuff and it's really important for me to feel informed and I always feel less anxious when I know more. So, um, yeah, so coronavirus is part of a family of viruses that is our coronaviruses, and there are seven of those. Four of them circle the globe 
normally uh, and give us the common cold. The other three are SARS, which hit us in 2002, MERS, which hit us in 2012, and now this one. So the, this virus is actually called SARS-CoV-2, and it leads to COVID-19, which is the disease. So coronavirus disease 2019, because of the year that it started. Uh, the infection rate, so one thing we have to say about the numbers is they're always fluctuating and we may never know the true numbers because 100% of the people won't get tested and we won't know everybody that's infected or even everybody that has symptoms. So it's difficult to know. We only know the numbers based on what's reported. Um, the infection rate is higher than influenza um, by a significant margin. And so if we don't do any kind of changes to our daily uh, behaviors, if yeah. you will, yeah. uh, they expect that you know, <clears throat> upwards 60% of the population uh, could get infected throughout this. Now, the number of infections that lead to more than mild or moderate symptoms that are severe, that's significantly lower. So it doesn't mean everybody that gets infected is going to need hospitalization by any means. The death rate that they're reporting with this is around 3.5%. It's going down a little bit every day. Uh, but that number is really skewed. Anytime you see averages like that, you really need to kind of ask what numbers made that average. And the reality is the vulnerable populations are the ones that are skewing that average to higher numbers. People, especially 40 and under, uh, the death rate so far that's being reported associated with confirmed cases is about 0.2%, which is a little higher than influenza, but not, you know, 14 times higher or something like that. It's when you get to 50 and older that it starts going up in steps pretty significantly. <clears throat> Each decade, if you will, it kind of almost doubles and 80 and above. It's about, it's approaching 15%. But most of those cases are associated with people who have underlying health conditions in addition to their age. Um, a lot of the deaths being reported in the lower age groups are also people that have underlying health conditions. And so there are things emerging that they didn't necessarily think about, uh, I say they didn't think about, but trends that are emerging with people, whether it's uh, heart disease or diabetes, um, people with hypertension that take medications that are actually kind of associated with the mechanism of viral infection somehow that mm. like, mm. so <clears throat> stuff like that that complicate issues but most healthy individuals who get infected will not progress according to the data it's playing out they're not progressing beyond a mild or moderate kind of stage of symptoms and hospitalization so that's why they're nervous because health officials are nervous because it's a new virus we've never seen, which means your immune system is fighting it off, um, having never seen it. So it's kind of a blunt instrument, try and knock it down, takes a little time for your what's called adaptive immunity. So that antibody stuff. Uh, the, reason, <clears throat> the reason we give vaccines is because it exposes you to something ahead of time and your adaptive immunity can recognize it next time. Well, none of us have been pre-exposed to this, right. so our body takes time to catch up. So um, what they're trying to do is use uh, different strategies to minimize the uh, number of people that get infected over time. It's going to move through the population. They know they can't contain it at this point. 
but they're not panicking. They're trying to take deliberate approaches to what are the best ways to minimize the infections. And so they've been talking a lot about flattening the curve. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Yes. Yeah. So you're talking about flattening the curve. What, what exactly does that mean and um, why is that important? Right. So flattening the curve is really getting at the burden or threshold with which our healthcare system can handle. And so most of the time we're below that threshold. But when a pandemic hits, um, there's only a certain number of hospital beds. And in this case, people that need hospitalization often need a ventilator. So it's how many ventilators are, are available, that sort of thing. And how many healthcare workers are healthy enough to be in the environment to take care of you. Right. If too many people get sick too quickly that need hospitalization, we will quickly surpass that threshold. And that will not be a good thing for our healthcare system. So what they're trying to do is create strategies that prevent us from going above that threshold to keep our healthcare system from being overburdened. Flattening the curve uh, is squishing it down in a way as it pushes the ends out. So it would increase the length of time that the virus might be around, but it would keep us below the burden of, of healthcare, threshold of healthcare burden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What they're trying to do, though, is layer on top of that these strategies like social distancing that will not only flatten the curve, but if we all really take seriously what they're saying and the recommendations, we have a shot at significantly reducing the number of total people infected. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they're making these recommendations. And that's why it seemed very sudden when all of a sudden NBA suspends its season and NCA March Madness canceled. Right. Universities are going online. Public school districts are canceled. So that all happens so quickly and it freaks people out, which is completely understandable. Sure. Uh, but the reason they're doing this is the strategy of um, minimize the number of people that will interact to try and minimize the number of infections. Right. Because we don't, if you counted daily how many people you actually interact with, either physically shake hands with or hug, um, or just kind of within a three foot radius, it's a ridiculous amount that you never pay attention to. Right. So in this situation, it feels extreme because they're asking you to pay attention to that. But it's actually really important because it can have a huge effect, especially on the vulnerable people in our population. Right. So it begs the question, <clears throat> if we're looking to do social distancing, if everything's being canceled, um, how much should I stay in my house? Is it okay if my kids go over to a friend's house for um, a time to hang out? Um, what other steps should we take in terms of remaining distant? Should I go to the gym? Should I? What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, so I mean, what the public health officials are recommending, and again, this is just my personal opinion is uh, be really informed about your daily activities. So they're not saying nobody should go to work because we need people to go to work. Uh, but what they're saying is be mindful about what you need to do versus not need to do. That's why Google said, stay home. We all work on computers. We don't have to be in the same office. Right. And I do realize I'm saying this from a position of privilege. My job can actually fairly easily be translated into an online learning environment. Not everybody can do that. You need people at the grocery store to keep things moving. And you know, the utilities companies need to keep stuff running. And you need healthcare workers and first responders. So we really need to consider those people 
And so our interactions with each other, if we don't mitigate those, we put not just the vulnerable people from a health perspective at more risk, but we put all those people that we really need to be healthy at more risk. When it comes to how much you should stay at home, I think they're just asking us to say, what do you need to do um, and how much risk is involved? When it comes to play dates, it's sort of a, you know, how well do you know these other people? Do you know what what uh, things they've been doing to try and stay healthy as well and that sort so of thing? So you're talking like um, how cleanly are they? Like how clean are well, they? It, or it's, who it's, are they coming again, in contact with? Again, these are awkward with? situations. It's, sure. it's sort of weird to ask people, are you, are you washing your hands? <laughs> right, like, right. Uh, but if you know, if you they're saying groups of 10 or more at this point even. Right. And so it's sort of like if it's a small play date and you know nobody in either group is sick and you know that they're not just going and hanging out mm -hmm. um, in large groups of people or whatever, then that's just a personal decision between the two of you kind of making that decision. But I think that what they don't want is, you know, a different play date every day with a different family, they might want you to strongly consider whether that's something that needs to be done. Sure. This isn't going to be forever, right? It's just an inconvenient thing, if you will, to simple, oversimplify it, that we all need to really lean into for a while so that we can see what the effects are and whether we need to reevaluate two, three weeks down the road, a month down the road, what have you. So it's, it's tough to say this is what you should do what sure. they're saying is be reasonable and think of the people that you could be affecting <clears throat> with your decisions right now even with social distancing even with uh all of these um steps that seem fairly dramatic there's still good likelihood that the number of cases we currently see will go up absolutely quite a bit yep. right yep. um I know that there, that will trigger more fear. Yeah. You're suggesting maybe that it shouldn't trigger more fear because that's just a natural outcome of the number of cases that are current that we have not tested yet. Yes. Um, any, any thoughts related to kind of how that stuff plays out? Because I know as numbers go up, it tends to trigger more anxiety and more fear. Uh, even though we might know that that's going to be a natural outcome. Any thoughts related to that? Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that the number of cases is going to go up. Right. And that's okay in the way that, you know, to myself, I just follow <clears throat> the data, follow what's happening, and listen to the public health, health officials, especially local and regional and state, right? They're the ones kind of on the ground with us. Right. Uh, the federal government makes blanket policies, but they're not here with us. So the Spokane authorities are the ones that are most close to what's going on here. They know, right, we just had our first three cases confirmed yesterday. We knew we weren't going to be this perfect bubble that didn't get hit, and that's going to go up. But again, remember uh, what's happening to most people that get infected and uh, continue to try and protect, be vigilant of your own health so that if you're feeling, you know, there's, if you have a fever and you're feeling a little flu-like, just call your primary care provider. That's what they're asking us to do. They will guide you through a series of questions that determine whether or not they think you need to be tested, or they might say, it's likely you're infected, but I'm going to ask you to just stay home and ride this out because you know, you're a healthy individual or something. So right. it's really important to call them and get their 
opinion on what you should yeah, do. Yeah. And I think it's also important to remember that, you know, with fear comes stigmatization, right? And what we shouldn't do is stigmatize people that are infected because nobody is going to be able to kind of help it if sure. they got infected, right? Assuming they're trying to do the best they can. Right. So don't make this kind of a social thing like, oh, I'm not going to touch you. And for the next six months, I'm going to worry about getting infected or something like that. Right. So we need to lean into this and make healthy choices and also be compassionate and treat people with just sort of love of, I want you to be healthy. I want you to get healthier and I'm not going to ignore you if you get sick. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So uh, not having fear, but also having prudence and being thoughtful about the steps you take and yeah, it's, it's about being mindful and uh, being courageous in our compassion, right? Remembering we're all human beings and we, we want everyone to survive this. So the chance of that is slim that everyone would. Right. But that's kind of what happens on an annual basis with influenza and other things that kind of rip through us. So it's important to just take a step back and say, what am I doing that will have ripple effects? And how can I make changes that will minimize the chance that others get infected and maximize the chance that they will stay healthy? And either way, I want to treat everybody equally valuable in my eyes from that respect, which, you know, Jesus calls us to do, right? When he says that when you, when you treat the least of my brothers and sisters, you, you do this to me. And so as Christians, he absolutely calls us to act this way, which is the anti-panic sentiment. Right? Totally, yeah. <laughs> Love our neighbor as ourself, absolutely. Right. Um, <clears throat> some people are maybe asking the question, um, why is this one becoming such a big deal? Or why didn't we see this coming? Or um, doesn't it work where we kind of know what viruses are coming and then we figure out a solution prior to them getting here and why are we behind on this and you know uh thoughts on that how does how does flu kind of um or these types of viruses go travel around the world and will we see this come back again in the fall and right thoughts on that yeah that's that's a good question you know normally things like colds and flus they're seasonal and there's a reason they're seasonal because they travel around the globe and so uh you know, after they kind of leave us, they're hitting somewhere else around the globe. And as they do so, they, they change, they mutate. And so they look a little different next time they hit us. Something's changed so quickly that, and they, they don't hit us so hard that we don't really um, try and get a vaccine. Like a common cold, we don't have a vaccine for because it's very, very difficult. There are groups trying to figure out if you could do that, um, but in general, um, it's not worth it because most people, when you get a cold, it's inconvenient, but it usually doesn't hit you that hard. The flu hits you harder, and so we <clears throat> try and make a vaccine, and we predict, we try and predict what's coming at us based on kind of what's on the other side of the world that might hit us six months later. And so we try and make a vaccine based on what's there, and once it hits us, sometimes it matches really well, the vaccine that we made. Sometimes it doesn't match really well. Sometimes the vaccine we make just doesn't work as effectively as we thought it might. So sure. there are just lots of complications with vaccination. With new viruses, we haven't seen them, so we don't have time to make a vaccine. Um, this is These are a little more nerve-wracking because what happens is uh, this one came from an anim a non-human animal. 
can't jump to humans. And that's actually a really big step for a virus. And so it's a little, it makes us nervous when that happens because we've never seen it. And then it's another step to go from human to human. So there are two transmission steps there that are really important for a virus. Once human to human transmission takes place, then we know it can spread through the population. And so without a vaccine, we need steps to take that really try and mitigate those. And, you know, you've seen different countries take very different approaches to this. Sure. And so. And vaccines are a ways off, right? Because you have trials and clinical tests yeah. and, and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. That's why we don't have an instantaneous kind of solution. Right. And there, there are people, they've gotten emergency uh, sort of fast track vaccine trials that are going on right now for this. But again, you know, even if one works, uh, there's an upscaling issue. How do you make enough for millions of people all of a sudden? So that that may come, but it's definitely down the road. So what we need to do is not lament about, you know, any uh, kind of mistake or lack of response prior to this. We can't depend on what might come down the road. We have to really live into the moment we're in and uh, take it seriously. Um, every time that I pick up my phone, there's a new article about something. Where are you getting your information and where should we look to to right. continue to learn? Yeah. So, again, just my own habit is I avoid most of the popular media, um, whatever end of the political spectrum that might be coming from, just because the headlines are, are too easy to mis be misleading. Whether or not they're trying to mislead you, it's just, you know, they sensationalize an awful lot. I rely uh, primarily on the, the public health official websites, you know, whether it's local, regional, state, um, federal, and global. There's a lot of really important information that's coming out. The cool thing is, uh, just from an information perspective, there are a lot of um, super cool geeks out there that just scrub information from these websites and consolidate it and make it into digestible kind of tidbits for you, depending on what you like to look at. And so. That's where, for me, uh, a little <clears throat> extra effort in trying to think about where you're getting your information from and the reliability of it. It's never going to be perfect because public health officials are getting information in real time as well, and they're trying to make the best decisions they can. But to me, it's still the most reliable place to get the information and to follow the guidelines that they're asking us to follow. And I think that you can really minimize your anxiety by going there over looking at the headlines that are trying to get you to go buy six months worth of toilet paper or something like that. Speaking of toilet paper, let's talk about the practicals. Uh, I went to the store the other day. Uh, there were was no toilet paper. There were no paper towels. Uh, there was no hand sanitizer. I got some at Costco the other um, day, guys. Oh, Julie must have gotten the last few. She stuffed her garage. Climbing the scaffolding <laughs> up into the pallets. Yeah. I only got one thing of it. We yeah. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> Julie's tucking away limit five. Each kid yeah. checked out. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to come to my garage? Right. <laughs> um, but what are some what are some of the practical things? Uh, what do we disinfect the house with? Um, why have people made a run on toilet paper if this is a uh, respiratory illness rather than um, a different type of illness? Uh, what are some thoughts on just the practicals? Yeah. So it's key to remember this is a respiratory virus. So it attacks your lungs, not your intestines. So you really, toilet paper will not do you any good. <laughs> and uh, unless you want to use it as Kleenex or something like that. But really, you shouldn't buy any more toilet paper than normal. 
the best way, and this is why they're really making a huge deal of this, is hand washing and hand sanitizer. So hand washing works so well because the viruses on the outside are mostly made of a molecule that, that's kind of fat or oil-like. And so it's just like when you wash your oily dishes, it dissipates the oil. You're kind of dissolving the outside of the virus, so it's no longer infectious toward you. Hand sanitizers, the alcohol, uh, does what's called denaturing to the proteins. And so it, it prevents them from folding up properly. Again, it just renders it not infectious. So that's why those are really, really good to use as sort of your first layer of defense when you're thinking about all the things that you come in contact with throughout the day, whether it's a doorknob or a gas pump or what have you. Why, uh, why 20 seconds of washing your hands? I know some people have asked that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, if you could zoom in with a little camera and look at what's happening, these are little chemical reactions and it just, it takes time, right? So it's not like this instantaneous nanosecond thing where if you've got a lot of virus on your hands, you want to give enough time for them to dissolve because if there's even one left and it, you know, infects you or the person you come into contact with, then right. it starts all over again, right? right? So it's just better to be a little overcautious, which means you might have dry hands if you use hand sanitizer a lot, right? The alcohol can dry it out and crack your skin and stuff. But to me, that's kind of a minor inconvenience considering the consequences if you don't do it. Right. So that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the sanitizer for cleaning at home. Again, soap is a great thing to use, especially because sanitizer, hand sanitizer is really hard to find right now. Um, the Clorox kind of cleaning wipes and stuff. Those work great. Um, the Lysol sprays, kind of stuff can be really good because it's a, a spray, it kind of gets into nooks and crannies and stuff that wiping doesn't necessarily get into. And as long as if you spray and they say waiting 10 minutes-ish before using a surface can be really, really effective. Hmm. So those are some of the practical things. It's hard. When they give us answers, they give us this is what's ideal. They know that a lot of us don't live in this ideal situation where you forget and you touch your face, right? It's okay, no reason to freak out, right? Um, those of you that have kids, we know they're little snot factories that just run around <laughs> touching everything and hardly listen ever, right? right? And so that's tough, but we just they're just saying, do the best you can and strive for this ideal, and that will minimize kind of the, the, the total number of infections, we hope. Yeah, good. You were talking about ways that we can help people, and you had said, um, Social distancing is important. As kingdom people, we are people who believe we should be living in community and living with others. So in this time, what's a reasonable way that we can still live in community and care for one another and uh, just love our neighbors yeah. at a distance? Or right. <laughs> I don't know how this plays out. That's a good question. I think that one of the the technology can work to our advantage in this situation, right? We can we can care for people and be really mindful of our own actions uh, through technology. And so, you know, I, I a lot of the students that I teach are volunteers in the healthcare community. And so we talk a lot about what does it mean when you're going into a community that's got lots of vulnerable people in it, whether it's because of age or because of other health conditions. And so how do you think about going into that? And so one of that is obviously really uh, being mindful of physical contact, right? Or just being in proximity. Do you need to be there? Do you not need to be there? But not being there doesn't mean you, you stop caring about people, right? So keep a list of people that you either know are vulnerable or you just want to think about and check in with them. And uh, that can mean, and this 
this sounds silly because it sounds so Hollywood movie-like, but the reality is it can be really helpful. Uh, if you say, um, so I have parents that are over 70 and they live in town. And so I check in and say, hey, um, I'm going to go to the store. Can I get something for you? And in their case, you know, at this point, I might go inside. But, you know, as things progress, it may be like, hey, just going to drop it off on your doorstep, pick it up when you want to or something. And if they want, they could spray it off with Lysol before they bring it in the house. I mean, that sort of thing can be really helpful mm -hmm. for anybody. Instead of forcing them to go out into the community, if they're vulnerable, you can offer to help them in certain correct. ways, right? Which, you know, so I think if we all do that with a handful of people in our lives, there are going to be a lot of people that can really be affected in, in positive ways. And of course, you know, we're a community of Christians as well. And I think we believe in the power of prayer. And mm -hmm. so it's not just about doing nothing but prayer, but we believe prayer works. And so I think Absolutely. just praying for the health of the people in our community, praying that, you know, this thing goes through us in a minimal fashion and goes away quickly is something we need to live into and, and believe that can happen. That's very good. Any other thoughts? Uh, when we were talking before we started, you had mentioned uh, one or two silver linings that maybe come from this. Uh, do you feel like you've addressed those things or, or would you give maybe any more word to that? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a couple of things. We can always, we always learn, right? And I think that when things like this hit and it's not so severe that a huge percentage of everybody, every age range or whatever is dying, we, we, can, we have a lot to learn as we look back on. And, and again, being somebody that looks closely at the data, something they're not really talking about, that's a strange silver lining is there are zero reported deaths in children nine and under globally at this point associated with coronavirus. And that's pretty astounding from an infectious disease perspective. So um, it's little things like that, that again, take time to really be informed and uh, remain optimistic that it, it will affect all of us in some way as it moves through. But if we really be mindful and believe that we can have an effect, uh, we we can we can really tamp this thing down, and uh, in, a, in a mindful and intentional way. It's good. So on a practical point, um, <clears throat> what what does your family daily life look like right now? What are you guys doing? Yeah. In light of all of this information and. Yeah. So our life uh, has changed quite a bit. Um, my wife and I are both educators, so I'm at the university level. My wife is an elementary school teacher, and so we've been told our lives will change <laughs> because <laughs> we're not meeting in person anymore. Um, and so what that means is our kids are going to be home and we're going to be home. Um, and so we're thinking of ways that how can we keep our house clean uh, more than normal, I guess, if you will, right? Uh, but also, it's a, okay, if we're going out, what are we doing? What can we do to minimize our trips here and there? And then I'm really hammering on my kids right now, uh, so much so that they're rolling their eyes, <laughs> is uh, walk in the door and head to the, the sink and wash your hands, mm. regardless of what you've been doing. Why not? What's one extra time? Right. Um, it's a really good recommendation from the authorities of the doors that you use constantly, just clean them every now and then, right? Mm -hmm. Your garage door that you're constantly going in and out of that's getting a lot of touches and so even before you go wash your hands you've already touched that door so 
little things like that that you normally don't think of. You know, also trying to remind them whenever I see them touching their face um, or telling me, you know, like, hey, if you see me doing that, just let me know. And it's not to be annoying, but it's right. just that's one of the easiest ways to transmit it is if it's on your hands and you haven't washed your hands and then you pick your nose, there's a good chance it's going to happen, right? right? So it's mostly little things. It's most of us don't have things that we need to sort of drastically change in our inside the house kind of life. Outside the house, it's that social distancing kind of thing. So that's, it's that short list of things and being mindful of it, right? And in the beginning, it's practicing it in an annoying way so that it becomes a habit. And then it's just what you do for a while. And I think, I was thinking this morning too, it's an unfortunate side effect, but it's, I think, something that we need to weigh is it's going to become sort of a, a sustainable nightmare for a little while from an environmental perspective, because it means we'll probably be a little more wasteful for a period of time. Mm. But that's better for the global community than kind of worrying about how many wipes you're using or aerosol, right. aerosol cans or Starbucks says can't bring in your own cup, you know, that sort of thing. <clears throat> it's unfortunate, but that is going to make a big impact if we all, again, lean into that, if we buy into those strategies. It's good. Aaron, thanks a ton for yeah, coming in and being Thank a part you. of this. Thank and, you. Happy to yeah, come in. very grateful. Uh, so we decided to cancel our services uh, earlier in this week, probably Friday afternoon, right around the time that uh, our governor got on and said actually it was mandated that uh, we don't have assemblies of people uh, of about 250 people. But the discussion really was uh, a discussion that our elders and our staff uh, leadership teams um, had over uh, a couple of days, and it was not without tension. Because on one hand, we believe in the value of gathering uh, corporately to worship. We value being together as a family weekly. We believe that the Spirit actually moves and convicts us when we open the Scripture together. Yet, on the other hand, we are a church that deeply cares for the city, uh, the city that we live in and the community that we live in. And we're always thinking of how are we a church community that best cares for Spokane. And based on the transmission of this virus, uh, not coming together in big groups seemed like a way that we might be uh, a people that leans into that idea of how do we best care for this community. So um, those are tough spots to be in because um, you have, at some level, competing values. And uh, I am thankful for our uh, elder leadership team willing to sit in that tension and listen to the spirit. There aren't always easy answers with situations that we have to face, uh, but we kind of landed in a spot to say it's, uh, it's maybe best for us to, uh, for a time, cancel our service, uh, our weekend corporate gatherings, and, uh, and yet continue to do the best that we can as people to live out the hope and love and uh, grace and mercy of Christ, um, just not on the Sunday gathered uh, or not in the Sunday gathered format. So uh, just one quick thing that I think is uh, critically important, and then I, I think Russ is going to talk about um, this idea of feelings, but um, I think it needs to be absolutely clear that church is not canceled, uh, but in fact, church is very much active and that we are just choosing for a period of time not to gather corporately, uh, but rather live out the beautiful things of church in our own smaller contexts. Excellent. Thank you, Russ. Yeah. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. For sure.
As far as feelings go, there obviously has been a disruption in our shared life together, whether it's our shared life as a community that gathers on a Sunday or whether it's our shared life as small groups may choose to not gather or may uh, change the way in which they gather, or it's a, just a disruption in our shared life together from the fact that we're not seeing each other as regularly, schools are canceled, uh, universities are on pause, um, many things are moving to online. And so there are feelings of um, just being uneasy, uncertain, fearful, concerned. Uh, these are normal uh, feelings. It's uh, totally normal to feel uneasy or uncertain during this time. And you're not the only one and we're not the only ones going through this. This is uh, worldwide. I even started thinking this week, just what are some of the disruptions that maybe you've faced or others have faced? Uh, and I think collectively we'll, we'll toss out a few of them. Certainly one of the biggest disruptions is just your regular routine, the things that you typically do from day to day or heading to work or dropping the kids off at school. Uh, what are some other routines that you guys or other disruptions that you've noticed? Soccer practice canceled, volleyball practice. Can, I mean, just the normal everyday things of gatherings, places that we also get social interaction. Um, all of those are now canceled, both for kids and adults and meeting with people for coffee. Uh, maybe some of that still happens in smaller places, but overall, uh, I think of local businesses um, and uh, the ways in which our economy is going to be affected by these things. That's uh, going to be certainly uh, a disruption at points. I know my wife, uh, Grace, and I have talked a number of times about what does it actually look like to have kids uh, home during school and how are we continuing to invest in them academically, but also taking this uh kind of maybe special time in, in some way to be closer together as a family? And are there new rhythms and routines that we can implement that uh, help us to take what we did not anticipate and, um, and really learn some uh, unique and new lessons out of this time? I've been uh, thinking about the just the disruption of uh, people's hopes. Uh, I know as a Spokane community, Gonzaga basketball is a... Uh, an area of interest for many people and for them to be number one seed uh, or significant heading into the tournament and then to have that canceled. Uh, I think about uh, individuals in their senior season not being able to uh, maybe reach some of the goals that they had hoped for. Uh, I know personally my son uh, Jackson is in his senior year and the day before the first game for that senior year um, the season looks to be postponed, if not completely canceled. So I think there um, are lots of feelings of disruption in our shared life together. And I think it's absolutely normal uh, for you to feel that tension. I'm a big parade guy, which maybe you didn't realize this about me, but <laughs> having the St. Patty's uh, Day parade canceled was a, it was a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you going to be okay? Yeah, I'm just uh, worried about the uh, Lilac Festival of Lights parade as well. And But we'll see, yes. you know, we'll see. Yes. But downtown, there still will be light shows. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think those will continue. That's great. Yeah. But it's not a parade, Russ. No. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so is uh, 
as we consider uh, what it looks like to be a kingdom people in the midst of uncertainty or a kingdom people uh, in the midst of, for many, an anxiety or an uneasiness, or it, some would say a dis-ease, what are some postures that we need to take from a kingdom perspective? Uh, yeah, I think preparedness uh, is something that people are talking a lot about. And uh, being prepared in a prudent and wise way, I think, is totally reasonable. Uh, being prepared out of fear, I think, can be incredibly destructive to uh, your own faith journey and your understanding of who God is and um, how God is ultimately in control of these things. I also think that when you are preparing out of fear, you end up maybe taking more resources than you need and therefore leaving other people who are more vulnerable without some of those resources as well. So being prepared, but also being realistic and being generous and um, trying to find that balance and live in that tension. Yeah. Yeah. I, the more I've thought about fear, certainly fear and anxiety is something that comes up uh, in seasons like this. And certainly there is the fear of the virus, and that is a real thing. It's actually happening, and we have to be uh, have caution and um, be smart about just the spreading of disease. But I think that oftentimes fear um, actually raises up more internal fears. Uh, and so I think we want to just consider that this may be an invitation to face fear. Um, a lot of times fear comes or worry comes because of a desire to control things. Uh, it's central to our worry is this attempt to keep things under control. And when we realize in moments like these that we can't control or that we are not in control, it surfaces for us other areas of discomfort, other areas of fear. So perhaps this is a good season for us to, uh, in the same way Jesus did during the Lenten season, to learn the idea of the discomfort of powerlessness, of being willing to set aside uh, control, of being willing to lean into being powerless in these moments and to acknowledge our need for God's presence and to, to really um, not be one that perpetuates fear, but rather trusts uh, and depends on Christ in the middle of uncertainty. Any Which, other? Well, yeah, options? I was just going to say, I mean, uh, the Brueggemann uh, devotional for this morning seemed to fit incredibly well. And you're speaking to some of that, but um there is uncertainty, and that's okay. And uh, we, we are not going to have all of the answers, and that's okay. But uh, I'm reminded that one of the things that we do have the answer to is that we are a kingdom people, and that shapes how we live, and that shapes how we think through things. Um, and uh, in, in situations that seem dire or situations that don't have answers, what we can do is do the best that we can do. And, uh, and that means that uh, we continue to strive to embody the things that Christ calls us into. And, uh, and we just do our best continuing to move forward. I think it's an interesting time because being kingdom-minded means that we are not living in fear 
And yet at the same time, it also means that we are doing our part for the community in uh, responding to what public health officials say to do and um, caring for our community in those ways. So it's this weird tension of living into both of those things and being kingdom minded means many things in this time. Um, one, one quick thought or two before we uh, conclude um, just on this idea of being kingdom people. Uh, I think in the midst of any difficulty or challenge, there is opportunity for silver linings. There are opportunities for us to learn or to see a situation differently through a, a different perspective, a different lens of looking at the world than perhaps other people are looking through. And uh, one benefit I think that we can lean into over this next season is to just be aware of the fact that we are incredibly connected. Um, we swim in a sea of individualism in our culture and striving for individualism, always being concerned about self over and above uh, the other. But this uh, virus and the um, kind of fallout from this disease has uh, created in us a deep understanding that we are intimately connected in the world. Um, that we're deeply connected to each other. We can't avoid that reality. Um, and that, that can change our perspective in some powerful ways. Thoughts on what it looks like to be incredibly connected. Yeah. I would just go back to one of the things that Aaron said that, um, as much as uh, maybe in the past we have um, talked about some of the ways that technology has disconnected us, this might be a season where uh, we lean into some of the wonderful benefits of technology and use it to stay connected, um, especially when you think about uh, staying connected to people that might be more vulnerable. And um, doing video conferencing and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. Um, this maybe is a one of those silver linings where we can lean into some of those things that we have access to and, um, and use it to continue to be intentional in each other's lives. Yeah, because I think we don't get to be around each other as much right now, but I think there are creative ways to still love and care for each other and to be connected and to check in on people and to call people and actually talk on the phone versus just texting. Um, but actually still living into those practices just in a different way than we have before. Maybe, well, go ahead. I was going to say this podcast in itself is an attempt uh, for us as a community mm -hmm. to seek to stay connected. We're going to continue uh, on a week-to-week -week basis to determine um, what we will put out as a leadership team. Um, but we want people to be aware of the fact that we're present and here and willing to, uh, to interact and care for one another in the midst of this. Another thing that can be learned uh, in the midst of this, uh, while the, the virus is creating um, challenges, there is another silver lining, and that could be the fact that regardless of how horrible the virus is, we are all together in this space, that we actually um, are required to slow down, that this virus in some ways is 
perhaps reordering your pace. It's changing the chase that you have in your life. It's altering your priorities. Um, in some ways, this is an, an invitation to stop and pause, but it's been forced upon us. We are addicted to the pace, the busyness, the hurried nature of life. And in many ways, this the decisions that are being made by health authorities are forcing us to adjust our addictive pace. They're requiring us to alter our routine. And while that could be heard and seen as a frightening thing, it is also an opportunity to refocus. It's an opportunity for us to to maybe ask questions about the way we live. Is there something I need to let go of in order to live in a new way? Is it an opportunity for me to set aside my agenda, my goals, my priorities, and begin to orient the decisions I make about my schedule, about my time with family, about my priorities in a way that's more kingdom oriented. I think this forced adjustment to our addictive pace also gives us another benefit. And that might be that when we slow down, we might actually have time to listen. And in moments when we listen, we might actually be more able to hear the voice of God. Perhaps you have felt recently that you haven't heard what God's asking, that you want to be aware of what he's saying, but doesn't seem to be speaking or he feels distant or you haven't heard him in a while. And maybe part of why that's the case is we haven't slowed down enough to listen. So may we take the time over these next couple of weeks to consider the pace at which we live, to ask questions about what it is it that we're really chasing after. Is there a different way to live? And in the midst of it, what is it that God is saying to me? Can I hear the spirit more clearly? Can I listen and respond? And may we not just be a community that doesn't meet on a Sunday for fear of spreading uh, some virus, but may we be a community that begins to think through the truth that we are intimately connected, that we are deeply a part of one body, universal, and that in the midst of this, we can actually grow and learn about our life, our pace, and our need to listen to God. I want you to know that you're welcome to reach out at any time. Uh, and we'd love to help you process things, to talk through anything that you might be nervous about or just to be present with you. Uh, and we will be with you through this time in generous prayer and with much love. Just a couple quick announcements uh, so that you stay up to date with the latest information that you need on new-community.com backslash Sunday gatherings is where you are going to receive material. Uh, we will consistently update it. Uh, there will be material for small groups. There will be information, uh, weekly podcast, and then uh, any other updates needed from our community. Uh, we're not totally sure how long our weekend services will be on hiatus. Uh, we're going to kind of make those assessments week by week. 
and we will be sending out a weekly email with updates to keep everybody in the loop, which brings us to... If you have not signed up to be in the loop, make sure you sign up. Uh, if you go to the website, new-community.com, there will be a little pop-up that gives you the option to sign up for that. So make sure to sign up for In the Loop because that is how we will communicate with all of you. Love you, everybody. Love you lots. Love you all. For our benediction, new community, love one another because love is from God. Proclaim God's love to those you encounter throughout the week. Remain in Jesus Christ, and like branches of a vine, draw your life from him. And may God, the vine grower, make you fruitful. May Christ Jesus abide in you and give you life. And may the Holy Spirit cast out all fear and fill you with God's love. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.